to Big Nerdy Questions, B&Q, where last week we left you off with three horrible, horrible films. And now, this week, we're going to complete the, well, the downward spiral of this podcast, if we're frank. Uh, our Big Nerdy recommendation last week was uh, from Ed, recommending Elisha Barber from by E.C. Ambrose, because she's going to be on the show in two weeks. Uh, so please make sure you get us the questions that you want us to ask the amazing author E.C. Ambrose at B&Q Feedback at gmail.com. And without further ado, now we will jump back in. And I'm going to go first this time with our uh, first nominee of horrible, horrible films. And so I'm going to go into the Star Trek universe for my pick. Uh, as JP well knows, we've talked about some of the Star Trek films before, <clears throat> and I have strong opinions on the Star Trek films. My initial instinct was to go with Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, because William Shatner's magnum opus is the worst film of the classic Star Trek crew. It is an abomination of epic proportions to have an entire feature film centered around the con- the conceit that God lives at the center of the Milky Way galaxy and that God, in fact, is a, a malevolent being that needs a starship, which is the only good part of the film. As Captain per- Kirk says, what does God need with a starship? It features as a plot device uh, middle-aged Nichelle Nichols dancing with fans to attract guards away from a desert planet of peace. <laughs> and that sounds, it is as bad as it sounds. No offense to Nichelle Nichols, she's a lovely lady, but it goes against Uhura's character completely to have her doing that, and it wouldn't have worked because they're military personnel. Give me a break. Spock has a brother, don't you know? A brother who's actually an emotional radical uh, who wants to take over uh, and make Vulcans more emotional again. Oh, you mean like Romulans? That's a great idea. You have Klingons in this <laughs> film that are complete buffoons. They are the Keystone Cops of the Klingon Empire. I almost, in fact, called them the Klingon Keystone Cops, but that's three Ks in a row, and I don't want to do that. Uh, This film is full of stupidity. It has none of the character moments, none of the drama, and none of the science that makes Star Trek Star Trek, but it is not the gravest cinematic injustice in the Star Trek franchise. You are correct. I have to give that to a film that I think isn't as bad objectively as Star Trek V, but ruined the franchise for me for what it led to. My pick is Star Trek Nemesis. Uh Uh-huh. Star Trek Nemesis is the last Star Trek in the Prime Universe featuring the TNG crew. And we've we've been over this last year when when JP and I did the Star Trek movies. Nemesis is my least favorite of the next-gen films. They crammed too much in there with the character of B4, who is an odd clone of Data. You have another clone of Captain Picard, Tom Hardy, in his worst role to date. Some of the mental play from Inception could have saved this film, but alas, it did not. You had a, you structured a TNG film around potentially having peace with the Romulans, and with Picard's clone, and with Data's clone. Any one of the three might have been fleshed out for a full for a full-length, good feature film, but the three together did not work out so well. So what does that leave us with? It leaves us with a film that tanked at the box office and ended the film career of The Next Generation. And when all of the actors, have, except Brent Spiner, have said they would have gladly kept coming back to make more films, so fine, kill off Data character, but leave the rest. But this film ended it. And the only way they would bring Star Trek back to the feature films is by adapting the original story- series again 
in the hands of J.J. Abrams, who turned Star Trek, as you well know, as you listeners, I think J.J. Abrams turned Star Trek into Star Wars set in the Federation. It's not objectively bad, but it is not my damn Star Trek. And Star Trek was ruined by J.J. Abrams, and it was only ruined because of Star Trek Nemesis being such a bad freaking film. So Star Trek Nemesis is the biggest cinematic injustice of the Star Trek franchise because of what it wrought. And may God have mercy on the producers of that film. So is the hashtag for this portion of the episode not my Star Trek? We already used it in the movies episode, but yes, I used it again, not my Star Trek. Bring it back. Okay, I'm going to say this. If it were not for Star Trek 2009, I would not have gotten into the franchise as a whole. It was a gateway. And I'm a more Star Wars-oriented person, but I have since then, you know, watched multiple seasons of Voyager and Enterprise and Next Gen and all that stuff. I think it was a good gateway. That being said, I have actually watched Nemesis, and I had to force myself to finish Nemesis. That was a bad movie. Yes, I agree. It is objectively bad, and because of the damage it wrought, and again, I do not think the J.J. Abrams Trek films are bad films. I agree with you, Ed, that they're not bad, but they're not Trek in my book as a person who grew up on Trek. The very first television show I remember watching as a three-year-old was Star Trek The Next Generation. I live and breathe the Trek universe. And I apparently, I just realized we didn't use Not My Star Trek. We used Not My President before. So, yes, Not My Star Trek will be our uh, hashtag for this episode. Thank you, JP, for the clarification. Uh, but I live and breathe Star Trek. I mean, it is my franchise. When I want to go for comfort to watch something on Netflix, I pull up an episode of Next Gen or DS9 or Voyager or even the original series and just watch it, and I'm with the characters that are like family to me. And I like Star Trek because I like to be in a universe where it's about fundamentally about optimism. Gene Roddenberry was a humanist. At his basic level, he believed in the power of humanity to come together and overcome large obstacles. Roddenberry had his faults. He was a sexist in some ways and in a lot of other things that were wrong with Roddenberry. But in that sense of being a humanist, I completely 100% agree. And to have a universe like Abrams, where in the first two films, the, the villains are other people in the Federation. Yes, you got that in DS9 to some extent. But at bare bones, Trek is about humanity coming together to press on and innovate and fight the good fight. And now, when people think of Trek, they just think of big space battles, which is Star Wars. Again, it's not bad, but it is not Trek. Uh, I'll make an addendum there, because obviously you haven't seen Star Trek Beyond. There's three movies with someone within the Federation that became a bad guy. Yeah, I know, I know. I was just trying to avoid the Beyond spoiler, uh, just in case, but yeah. It's been out for about a year. Now, uh, for, for clarification purposes, Josh, uh, you you are clearly our, our Trekkie. As, as being obviously not as much of a Trekkie as you are, didn't Roddenberry actually have one of the rules for the Trek universe be that one thing they could not portray was conflict between humans. Precisely. And so that, and honestly, the writers of the shows didn't like that all that much, but that was one of the basic tenets, Roddenberry's rules 
overran the original series and the next generation. And that's why DS9, there's, it's not a coincidence that DS9 is the first show where you have interhuman conflict as a major theme, because it's the first show that was created after Roddenberry's death. Well, to, to, be, to be fair, uh, Star Trek First Contact was showing the conflict between man during, what was it, World War Three or whatever it was? Yes. Uh, so that was, that was also post-Roddenberry, but that's an exception. See, he World War Three and the Eugenics War was part of Roddenberry's timeline. His okay. con, his contention was that humanity had overcome these obstacles by the time original series began. Gotcha. That, okay. World War Three is actually the moment in the Star Trek timeline where humanity World War Three and then the subsequent warp drive discovery from Zephyr Cochran and Vulcan's landing on the planet is what makes humanity become a unified people. Uh, so by the time you get to the Federation, yes, there's still war, but it's always humans against another civilization uh, like the Romulans or the Klingons or the uh, the Cardassians or the Dominion. It's not human versus human anymore. And you have, even in DS9, when there are humans versus humans, it's usually a very small rogue faction like the Maquis. It's not, you know, anything bigger. And Nemesis... It just completely decided it its failure led to Trek losing its way. And as someone who is a Trekker, a tr real true Trekker, to, yes, I agree. The line must be drawn here. To quote Captain Picard, it's it's upsetting to me that we can't still have Trek like I want it to be. I'm holding out hope that Discovery, when it comes out later this year will be more like the Trek... And it's set in the Trek Prime universe. It's set between Enterprise and the original series. And from what I've heard from casting and things, they're trying to do more of a, a typical Trek feel. That's what I'm sincerely hoping for. I'm hoping for a return to the feel of next-gen, but I'm not holding out my optimism until I see it. And again, I want to clarify, I don't hate the Abrams films. I think J.J. Abrams is a talented filmmaker. I especially like what he did with The Force Awakens. But I just don't think he... And he's even admitted he was not a Star Trek fan. He do, He's not a fan of Star Trek to this day. And he made the film that he wanted to see. Well, I am a Star Trek fan, and I want to see the film that I want to see. That's all I'm saying. The silver lining about each and every one of our instances that we're going to give throughout these two parts, they can't, they can halt or ruin a franchise or stop a franchise, whatever, but they can't take away what's preceded it. You can always go back and watch, you know, TOS or Next Gen or whatever. I can go back and watch Dragon Ball. Matt can go read his comic or, or Mortal Kombat, whatever, you know, it's fine. So there is a silver lining there as well. But I'm hoping Discovery will be good. I'm looking forward to that as well. That's a good. That's the silver lining. And we obviously love these franchises because we all have such passion about it. And I need to calm down because I've gotten to my rant again. This is a rant-filled topic. Uh, so I'm going to pass the baton back to Ed. You have a second choice, and you said this one also relates to a cartoon gone wrong. So what were you talking about? You want to talk about ceasing rants and then get me started on this, but anyway. I okay. I'm going to cease ranting. I didn't say we're going to cease ranting. Okay, well, I'm going to rant a little bit harder about this one than I did about Dragon Ball, so that should tell you something. Hold okay. on to your hats. 
Yes, or if you don't have hats, go buy hats and then hold on to them dearly. Um, <laughs> all right. By his pretty the re- the re- will end this film. The reason this one hit me harder and pissed me off more than Dragon Ball Evolution was because going into Dragon Ball Evolution, I'd seen the trailers and I thought, man, this is going to be a garbage fire. But this, the, the trailers that were presented looked like a beautiful representation of the source material. But against my own trepidation, I sat down to an M. Night Shyamalan film. Dear Lord, I sat down to another M. Night Shyamalan film. I'm referring to The Last Airbender, based off of the fantastic and critically acclaimed Avatar The Last Airbender. The movie roughly crams into like a 90 or 120 minute, I think it was closer to 90, uh, the entire 20-episode first season of the show. When This is a beloved series. It's more you know modern than you know Dragon Ball or Star Trek. It, it came out in the uh, early 2000s. This is a, what I would consider like American anime. It is. It told a beautiful story. It had great, diverse characters. It had heart. It had laughs, and it had a great. You know, the storyline was amazing, and. When they presented the film in the trailers and in, in the uh, subsequent interviews with Shyamalan, he was talking about, oh, I love the show. My kids watch it all the time. And then a lot of my complaints are about to come back from the Dragon Ball. If you love the show, if your children watch the show, how are you mispronouncing 90% of the cast's name wrong? Uncle Iroh is Uncle Iro. Ang is Ung. And, and the Avatar is, and they even mispronounce Avatar. It's like, Avatar, or what I don't remember, it was stupid. Anyway, they take, and then another thing, the whitewashing in the show, Aang is like Tibetan monk, so, you know, Asian, right? Katara, and, and, uh, you know, well, Zuko was actually cast, you know, in a, in a good way, but Katara and her brother, they were supposed to be like Inuit, and then we get white kids playing them. And then I use the word kids, they also cast unknowns who had no business acting to play these parts. They they were terrible. They were god-awful. Jake Lloyd. Did we have to go there? We're not even talking about that episode of same, Star Wars. Same problem, though. <laughs> no, I'll go on record. Jake Lloyd was more tolerable than these kids. And oh, that's, that's, damn. That's just... <laughs> damn. They, the system of... of, of I won't say magic, but what they call bending within the show. They have the earth, air, fire, and water benders. And throughout the show, each of these you know different talents is represented through a beautiful flowing martial art. How you know the body's movement correlates with the you know the the element you're you're dealing with. And they took that in something that was so great to watch with all this martial arts thrown into it. And then they. It just looked bad in the film. The effects were terrible. The CG was god-awful. Uh, I won't say it was, you know, Mortal Kombat god-awful and Annihilation, but it was pretty bad. And they they, they just messed... They, 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 they f***ed it up. There, there, they f***ed it up. You can bleep me twice. I, I kept it. Let me just collect myself here for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. They took 20 episodes, which are like 22 minutes to 25 minutes apiece. They crammed it down into 90 minutes. They lost entire plot points. They lost entire characters. They And again, they whitewashed the cast. Has Let me stop. Have any of you three seen the 
the, the damn movie. It, it was a show. You've seen it. Did you watch the show? Not only have I watched the show, I've also watched the parody of it. So. Oh, I haven't seen the parody, but I'll, I'll link it to you. I, I'm actually going to talk about it after you're done as a palate cleanser. Uh, okay, okay. They when they condense this, you know, 20 episode season down, they they had to rely on at the beginning of the film. They had to rely on uh, an opening scrawl that was like again like three or four paragraphs long, and then you know to force exposition down your your throat. And then several times throughout the film, you had to have Katara like you, na- providing narration during it just to speed things along because they they couldn't tell the story as it should have been told. If they had taken the time and told this film in like you know, told this story in, like, two films, did it right, didn't have Shyamalan directing, they could have had a franchise. They could have done six movies based off the Avatar series, and it would have been pretty good. Give us something different. And uh, unlike some of the things we deal with, where, you know, I'll throw out, you know, the Transformers. We, we, We didn't really talk about that. But the Transformers have had different origin stories throughout the years, even before Michael Bay got to it. That's why when Michael Bay gave us his version, I was more understanding of it because, well, geez, there was the Beast Wars, there was the regular Transformers, there was Transformers Armada and all this stuff. There's different origin stories. But this, I mean, there's one story. There's only one story, and you have sat there and claimed that you you respect the source material, that your kids love it, and then you give us this lackluster, poorly acted, terribly graphic-heavy piece of excrement that's an insult to everybody that loves the show. There was no heart in this movie. There is heart in that show. There is care for each of the characters. You give a sh- if they progress, if they succeed, if they beat the Fire Nation. This, you know, doesn't matter in the slightest, but I did, in preparation for this episode, find out that The Last Airbender won five Golden Raspberry Awards. So, it won (laughs) it sucking, at least. I don't even think Dragon Ball Evolution won it that The uh, only film that's ever gotten more Raspberry Awards is Wild Wild West, starring Will Smith. And that was infinitely more watchable, at least back in 1997. Oh yeah, man! When I when, when I was a kid, I loved that movie. I, I I wore out my VHS copy of that. Absolutely, it had like steampunk, like spider creature thing. It was like what what the hell? But okay, piloted by a guy that was in a wheelchair. I was like, all right. Let's do this. <laughs> Basically, what I'm hearing from this is that this film is more whitewashed than a Tom Sawyer parody. They have such an ethnically diverse cast, and then when you get on to The Legend of Korra, the creators had more guts in that one, too. In the last episode of Legend of Korra, spoiler alert, but it's been out for two or three years anyway, they reveal, even though it's kind of, you have to kind of, I guess, think about it for a second, but Korra, which is the second, the avatar after Aang, they admit that she's either bisexual or lesbian, and uh, you know I thought that was pretty awesome. And they're going to they're going to continue that storyline in a comic book that's uh, by the official creators. I plan on reading that. I guess this begs the question, which all of us can chime in on: Has M Night Shyamalan made anything of value? I feel like he's still getting films contracts based off of the success of The Sixth Sense. I is. I'll ha- I'll cut you off. I hear that. The most recent one, the split, per- split, the the multiple personality movie with uh, James McAvoy. Yeah, I I hear it's phenomenal, but I haven't watched it yet. Huh? 
I still think M. Night Shyamalan's last movie, he's, he's always famous for his big twist. I think the twist in his last movie should be that there is no twist. And the last twist would be there, the ultimate twist for his career. There, there, there was no real twist to The Last Airbender, except, uh, I guess... Oh, and that's another thing. They marketed this damn thing for 3D. There was one, one 3D scene in the movie, and that was in the opening title sequence. They took me for the 3D price of that film for one scene. Screw yourself. Screw yourself, M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> Twice! I paid for two 3D tickets for one scene. Go screw yourself. God He's almighty. He's not bitter at all. No, not at all. Um, Avatar, the, the series, is an American classic. It's a modern classic. I've watched it like three times through. It is fantastic. It, it deserves something much better. I think that it's on Netflix or Hulu. If you've never watched it, go do it. It's amazing. Matt, are you, is your next pick going to lift our spirits? I do have another film. It's not as bad as Avatar The Whitest Airbender. <laughs> but it's pretty bad. Now, we know, we, we know I am... Uh, Josh, what's the name of the comic book guy in Simpsons? Uh, JP, you might know that one. I don't know that one. So he goes by a comic book guy. However, he does technically have a real name, and he introduces it like probably about 18 seasons in. His name is Jeff Albertson. Well, I I may be the Jeff Albertson <coughs> of our group of Big Nerdy Questions. So I am the comic book guy. I'm mostly a Marvel fan. I tend to stick with Marvel. But for this cinematic injustice... I was willing to cross into enemy territory, and I am putting my hands around the throat of a DC film. Oh, Jesus. Which one? <laughs> and it's not Suicide Squad. I'm ready. No, I'm, I'm taking it back to the year 1997 okay. to 93 minutes of absolute, pure, stereotypical trash. As a preface, I would like to say, this is not the first time a professional athlete was used as the star of a film, and oh. it was proven, it was proven, no. it was proven <laughs> that... Don't do it, man. Don't, don't, don't do it. basketball player can make a good team. <laughs> I know I where he's going now! Space Jam, it was great. Space Jam is an American classic. <laughs> This is not that movie. Please don't. <laughs> going there. <laughs> Gentlemen, I present to you, starring Shaquille O'Neal, Steel. <laughs> oh, Jesus. What? <laughs> Shaq. Seriously. Oh, my God. You know, we, we, we talked earlier about characters being walking stereotypes about people of color. This entire movie was a walking stereotype of African Americans in L.A. in the 90s. Steel was actually a really good comic, and it's hard for me to admit that a DC comic was good because, God, I Superman. But Steel was actually a really good character, and he gave good diversity and representation and actually addressed social issues affecting people of color 
in Los Angeles at the time. It was a good, it was a good comic that gave both escapism and a grounded social commentary. So it was actually a solid comic book. And, oh my god, this movie is bad. I mean, honestly, I I think of Steel as DC's kind of parallel to Luke Cage. It really is. I'm, I'm going to start with the opening credits. Like, literally the opening of the movie. It, it opens with this really manly metallurgy, molten metal, you know, molten steel being poured into molds and all this metalworking going on. But the theme song, it sounds... Reminiscent of the Superman theme, which is great. It makes sense for the character. The character, even they actually left in Shaquille O'Neal's actual Superman tattoo on his arm. They actually left that in the film. But then they took the Superman theme, and they're like, you know what? Let's mash this up with the music from a 1970s porno. <laughs> and that's the theme song. I'm gonna have I don't know what they were thinking. And the acting was... It was horrendous. So the acting was also from a 1970s porno? No. Y- you, g- Good sir, you do a disservice to 1970s pornography. <laughs> Th- this was worse than phoning it in. If they had phoned it in, it would have been just like flat and boring acting. But uh, one of the things that they said with the script writing is they actually consulted ch- children in Los Angeles in poor neighborhoods about the script to make sure that the dialogue for the children is more realistic. The problem is they appear to have also applied that to all of the characters in the film. And let me tell you, there are some things that should not come out of Judd Nelson's mouth. And there there are so many Shaquille O'Neal jokes in the movie where he's not playing Shaquille (laughs) O'Neal. I counted no less than five references to the fact that he can't make free throws. No less than five. Wow. One of which included a grenade. Guy throws the grenade into a room with Shaq and a kid after pulling the pin. They proceed to have a 35-second conversation about how he can't make free throws while trying to convince him to throw the grenade through a small hole. Keep in mind, this isn't slow mode, so it's within the three to five second fuse time of the M67 fragmentation grenade that they actually used for the film. No, it was 35 seconds at normal speed with a, with them going back and forth with this grenade before he throws it. Keeping in mind, the pin's out, the spoon is gone, the fuse is ticking. How, how long is the fuse on this damn grenade? It should be like going halfway across the floor of the room. And they had a foot chase that went on for a full four minutes for literally no reason except to show off just how freaking tall Shaquille O'Neal is. They could have cut, they could have had this movie be 89 and a half minutes instead of 93 by cutting the, the chase scene down to the parts where things actually happen. They, they had a scene at the uh, that's supposed to be at the VA hospital in St. Louis where his where he's taking his sidekick out to go help him create steel. And he picks her up, and she's, she's paraplegic. She's paralyzed from uh, the chest down. And he picks her up in her wheelchair and starts carrying her out of the hospital while she's screaming for him to put her down. And everyone starts applauding in the hospital. They're literally applauding the kidnapping of a disabled veteran. In a VA hospital. Makes sense. Now, I, I will give 
I will give the film credit for one thing. They have this thing that's supposed to be this like super advanced weapon, which is clearly just a dressed up M249 squad automatic machine gun. Now, uh, for those of you who know what the M249 saw looks like, it's a fairly large machine gun. It's a pretty big gun. Watching Shaq single-hand that thing makes it look like a pistol, and that's freaking hilarious. <laughs> it is absolutely tiny next to that man. It seriously looks like a handgun. It's a two-handed automatic weapon. I, I hate to use a, a cliche, but I will in this case. I, you know that you know that cliche where it says, the saddest words of truth and pin are these, it might have been? Uh, I feel like this is the best example we've done so far of a franchise that had potential to be a mega franchise. Steel yeah. could have been a breakout DC character almost on the level of a Batman, especially because of his links with the urban community, especially considering Marvel hadn't done anything with Luke Cage at the time. He had the opportunity to become the first mainstream superhero who was not white. Exactly. Because Blade had come out, but Blade wasn't nearly as po- that popular. Yeah. Steel could have really... And then you could have eventually even had a film with Steel and Superman in it. And yes. it would have been gangbusters. And they threw it all away to make a essentially a self-parody film with Shaq. It was... There, uh, there's there's a cinematic term for, uh, and I don't think it's it's quite that bad. It's, I don't think it's quite bad enough to qualify. But there's a genre of film called black exploitation. Yeah, where it just exploits stereotypes about people of color, and generally the uh, the, the main films in that are things like uh, Shaft. Mm-hmm. Actually, probably the best example is uh, Shaft in Africa. Wasn't oh, Jackie God. Brown uh, Tarantino's attempt to spoof that franchise or come and kind of get off that genre? I think. Uh, but yeah, uh, you're right. Shaft in Africa is the the quintessential example. Yeah, I, I felt like it wasn't quite bad enough to get in that category, but it was actively trying for it. So, Matt, I'm gonna put you give you a director hat for a minute. If you were to make a Steel remake today. Obviously, you wouldn't cast Shaq. Who would, well, you, no. who would you cast as Steel today, and do you think that it would work? Uh, who would I cast for Steel? I would say... I would, I, I would say Idris Elba, if I can get him to do an American accent. And you can. Because he it. lends such gravitas to everything he's in, and Steel is a very serious character. He he was a uh, he was an army scientist who did weapons development, and he surrendered his commission because uh, he he thought it was uh, it was bad for him to develop weaponry with the sole purpose of maximizing death. Mm. So he w- he was very much he did everything with the goal of having he he was a walking conscience. So I, I think, I don't think the current DC Cinematic Universe, well, frankly, should exist. Um, <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, like, really dig into it. But I think if they, if they took, actually, I think he might be a good fit in the current DC Universe because of how dark it is. Because it is, very, it is pretty dark and gritty, but they would have to stay true to his... 
he does everything he can to protect human lives. He, he hates killing. He abhors killing. Of course, the problem in the current DC Cinematic Universe is they're like, collateral damage, what's that? <laughs> well, okay, okay, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in and play defense here a little bit. That was the entire point of Batman versus Superman was to hold Superman, quote-unquote, accountable for all the destruction that happened in Man of Steel. They're acknowledging the destruction. They're, that's a whole other, you know, big nerdy question about the DC Cinematic killing people doesn't drive with me. Okay, it, it didn't particularly sit well with me either, but there are instances in the comics where he's done it. So, I mean, it's, it is what it is. Although, it's not... I will say, you know, with DC, the DC Universe, it's almost a shame they have Will Smith as Deadshot, because Will Smith could probably pull it off. He could. Maybe. I, uh, I like your, your choice of Idris Elba, though. I mean... Good God! Have you, any of you seen the live-action uh, Jungle Book movie from er, like last year? Oh yeah, Shere Khan. I was Khan. just thinking of him as, as Heimdall. Oh, that or like, Shere Khan? He was terrifying as the tiger. He wasn't even yes. physically there. <laughs> so, uh. but what might have been uh, Shaquille O'Neal as Shaq? Yeah, I think all of us were thinking with Shaq, you were might going to go with uh, Kazam, but that's not really a franchise. That's just a horrible film. No, when he started talking about 1997, I thought he was going Batman and Robin, but I don't really remember what year that came out. Yeah, The, the, uh, the, the other person who I might consider, but I honestly think, frankly, he's, uh, he's not physically large enough uh, for the role is, uh, is uh, Lance Reddick. I think Lance Reddick w- would make a great steal. I just, I think he would really have to bulk up for the role. But I, th- I think he would be absolutely freaking brilliant in that role. Maybe they'll do it at some point. I mean, we'll see. They're bringing in Jason Momoa as Aquaman, so who knows? They may, maybe they'll go the steal route if they want to make more films in this universe. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see it done right. Yes. Absolutely. A well done steel film would actually it wouldn't convert it wouldn't switch me from Team Marvel to Team DC, but I would have a lot more respect for the for DC cinematic universe if they did, gave a really good rendition of steel. I agree. Um, and with that said, JP is gonna give us our last full length choice and you wouldn't give me any hints on this one, so I've got no idea where you're going. Um, Shouldn't you be I, hoping it's bad? Touche, sir. Touche. Uh, I am glad I'm going last, because uh, I, I will at least bring it on a positive note. Thanks, Ed. Um, <laughs> so we're going to uh, to go back to 1993 for a film that a lot of us forgot actually existed. We're going to go back to 1993 for a film that a lot of us forgot existed, but in fact, actually happened, and we as a society let it happen. Let's not forget about the live-action rendition of the Super Mario Brothers. Oh, no. Why? It's a me, terrible movie production. (laughs) In In fairness, that movie is great when you're completely drunk. I mean, that, was there any liquor left on the shelf when you were finished, or...? Not a drop in the store. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, okay, the movie is terrible, but is it fun to watch 
Yes, it's and it's because it's a terrible movie, but with actual good actors in it, and that's the key thing. That the star, the stars of the show are Bob Hoskins, who we remember fondly from Hook and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, mm-hmm. and John Leguizamo, who would at least go on to have a really big role on ER. However. The, the movie was so poorly written and so poorly conceived. And the reason why I say it's an injustice to the Super Mario Brothers franchise is not because it did any damage at all. I mean, let's face it, nothing can damage that franchise. <laughs> um, but what, it was what they did, how they portrayed the alternate world that Mario and Luigi end up in, it, it was always a colorful, vibrant, m- happy place with villains that were like snidely whiplash type evil, not like actual horrible villains like like the King Koopa in this movie. They they got transported to this weird dystopian world that was just covered in constant darkness and everyone was fighting each other and there were no resources and they were ruled by an evil dictator. But Anyway, for those of you who do not, who have not seen this film or are not familiar with it, um, it, it does actually have an interesting premise. It states that the what if the meteorite that hit the Earth and destroyed the dinosaurs didn't actually destroy the dinosaurs, but rather transported the dinosaurs to an alternate dimension, a parallel universe, if you will. And... So it features characters that look like, you know, very funny looking and behaving humans, but they, instead of evolving from primates, they evolved from reptiles. And, of course, with that comes the dietary differences, which are made fun of a lot. They have all these, like, little, uh, <laughs> little tiny lizard dogs, you know, you just put, like, these small salamanders on a hot dog bun and give it to the person <laughs> as a snack. It's... It's really good, but uh, but the it's joke just is a snack. Yeah, well, yeah, the snack is delicious. I've I've, I've had I've had a few lizard dogs myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but it, it's it's a fun to watch movie, but it's a bad movie. Please do not get this movie thinking this is going to be a quality film because it is not. But I will say it's very fun. The parts that made me laugh the most. Where when Mario jumps through the rift for the first time, and and there's a scene that follows where he's just falling and falling and falling, and it looks like one of those shooting stars memes that we're seeing today. Okay. Yes. Yes, and which I actually found out right before this episode. Someone did make a shooting stars meme by just playing that music over the scene unedited. It was great. <laughs> But, but uh, that w- that was that was one of the better parts. Another nice little gift I saw in there was uh, the name of the tower in which President Koopa resides is called Thwomp Tower, and, <laughs> and, and to further the joke, there is a scene where where President Koopa is shooting back at Mario and Luigi, and he misses and. Hits a hits a, a thwomp tower sign that was on the wall in the background, and it takes the H out, and it starts going. It starts looking like thwomp tower. <laughs> so that was <laughs> that that was really funny to me. Um, 
And there's a scene near the end where a babam is walking across the street, and for a moment you see the bottom of its feet, and they got the little Reebok logo on. Them. <laughs> <laughs> Product placement again. Absolutely, absolutely. But in a funny but, way this time. Yeah, <laughs> but it 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 was a, it was an interesting premise. That was uh, at least the beginning part was poorly narrated by a, an Italian plumber from Brooklyn. Sixty-five million years ago, dinosaurs ruled the earth. <laughs> which, which that I think, yeah, literally the first time someone opens their mouth to speak is when you realize this is going to be a terrible film. <laughs> However. Unlike all these other unwatchable movies we have talked about, I actually had a good time watching this film. I, I, I still have a good time watching this film, and for just six bucks on Amazon, I, it, it was a more than reasonable expense. Uh, the, Do you think they could have made a Mario film that is more akin to what we would expect from the Mushroom Kingdom in the games, where it's more colorful, maybe more targeted to kids? Um. Or, if we're speaking of live action, I, I just don't think that would be very feasible. The, CG the, would be great. The light, yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say is that if they just did an animated version of it, it, it would it would be it would be pretty cool. See, I feel like if um, Pixar got their hands on Mario, that'd be a great film. Sure thing, sure thing. Um, but live action, I mean, the the live action scenes during the Super Mario Brothers Super Show back in the eighties. Were, were fun, but they, they were in, in no way, in no way movie quality. They were just literally what you saw when the show came back from commercials, because the cartoon wasn't long enough to fill the whole 30-minute block. I mean, okay. honestly, when I think of this film, I think it's Blade Runner meets Mario Brothers, which is uh, yeah. something I never thought would exist. Yeah. Now, Josh, you said you don't think it hurt the franchise, and I agree with you. It didn't hurt the franchise at all. Do you think it hurt the potential of another film being made of the franchise? Sure. Y yes, I mean, the fact that there was not another film made after this one would suggest that, but I, I will admit I didn't read up enough to know whether or not they were planning on making a sequel. I'm not talking about a sequel. I'm talking about even trying again. I mean, even at this point in 2017. Um, I, I just, I, I don't think they need to anymore. Should they ever even tried in the, in the first place? I mean, that's, that's what I'm thinking. I, I mean, at this point, the Mario franchise has Super Mario Brothers 1, 2, and 3, and Super Mario World all under its belt. And so, I mean, at this point, the, the Mario name is worth at least a billion by now. I, I just don't think they needed it. No, I feel like there are other... Honestly, here's the crime in this one. As, as odd as this film is, but as, as much money and as, as dark as it is, the Nintendo franchise that I have wanted to see made into a feature film for 20 years is Metroid. That could be a really good one. I honestly don't think it would translate well. I would still watch it, but I don't think it would translate well. Fair enough, but I'd rather see them try that with this kind of a dark atmosphere than Mario. Sorry, well, that's true. I mean, it, it would be very challenging because there are no Samus never has anyone to talk to, so there'd be but, no dialogue in the entire film. As a horror, well, it's a Nintendo property, but as a pseudo horror movie, that could be really awesome and really like a lot of tension to Especially it. Especially if it was like a VR, sure. it was made as a VR film from mm -hmm. the perspective of Samus Aran. 
See, I would just be worried it would wind up coming out like uh, the Dwayne Johnson Doom. We don't. We don't oh, need to talk about God, that. We. Yeah. And there's our first honorable mention. Nice segue, Matt. So what we're going to do now here at the end of our two parts is we are going to talk about some of the other cinematic injustices that we haven't mentioned in full. And we're just going to start listing them off because we know you've been thinking them the whole time and we know we're not crazy. They're, they're in there. So, in no particular order, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, the Star Wars prequels. Movies. <laughs> <laughs> The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions. The newest iteration of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles by our sponsor, Michael Bay. (laughs) I'm letting you finish. (laughs) As far as the Ninja Turtles, I didn't think they were terrible films. Like, the first one was infinitely more watchable than the second, Mm -hmm. but obviously nothing compares to the original live-action film. Yeah. I like them for what they are. I look at them as popcorn movies. That's what they are. And, And... and there were parts that I liked about the two Matrix movies that came after the first one, but the first Matrix was a fantastic film, and they they could not have lived up to that film, period. No, the expect they should have never made them. So no. also we've got uh, Rocky Five. Ooh, you mean the one where he didn't actually box? I mean, <laughs> The Godfather Part Three. Yeah, uh, was that was one I know? had. Mm-hmm. There is some argument about the Hobbit films. <laughs> uh, yes, so the Hobbit films compared to Lord of the Rings, or compared to the books, it's, the book it's based on. Underworld franchise <laughs> is a possibility. Green Lantern is, of course, a possibility. Matthew Broderick as Inspector Gadget <laughs> is a travesty don't get of me all started. things. Don't don't get me started. I didn't hate that one. <laughs> Matthew Broderick and. God's sake. Math, Matthew Broderick in Godzilla. I'm starting uh, yes. to see a pattern here. Yes. <laughs> I didn't mm-hmm. hate that one at the time either, but it doesn't hold up. Ferris Bueller, take a day off. Take a day off. We don't need you in this one. And yet, at the end of the day, I would still call Matthew Broderick a fantastic actor. There are some people who want us to say Ghostbusters, the newest iteration, but I think it's actually a good movie, so we're not going to say that one. But Indiana Jones, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is definitely going to be said. Because, for no other reason, the refrigerator movie. Damn it. I'm still pissed about the aliens. Yes! I, I'm pissed about the aliens and Indiana the freaking Jones refrigerator. Beating up, beating up Nazis. Shia LaBeouf swinging through the trees with monkeys. I rest my case. I think at this point it might just be easier to put out the parental advisor instead of editing this one, Josh. <laughs> I uh, will see what I can do. But do you guys have any other honorable mentions that you want to discuss? Maybe Iron Man three. Iron Man three was garbage. The it fun really part. Was. The fun part about all this is actually uh, there's one really obvious one hanging out there that none of you guys have mentioned. It's actually going to be my choice in the end. So <laughs> um, I'm just going to let it ride. Let me think about honorable mentions for a moment. Um, oh God, uh, the live action adaptation of the the book Aragon. That was terrible. Oh, yeah. The Golden Compass. Yes, that was another... And I love the book series. That's another one. Philip Pullman. Poor man. Zathura, when compared to Jumanji. Not a good film. 
There is no comparison to Jumanji. That is not even at all. Some people would say that The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, though I've not read the book. I've heard many people say that. Yeah, I've heard that. that it, I mean, I've seen the film and I've read the books. It's not a great adaptation. It really, truly isn't. But but I don't think it's as egregious as some of the things we've talked about tonight. No. no. I mean, it's one of Martin Freeman's earliest roles, and he does a pretty good job, honestly. So I forgot I, he was in that thing. I Holy wasn't going to... I wasn't going to bring it up because I, I don't think it's quite as bad. Um, but it, it's not great, for sure. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean 3. Yes. Jurassic Park 3. Uh, I think 3 was better than The Lost World. But True. I th- you I'd say, I'd say, are wrong. No, sir, I am not. <laughs> that is my opinion, so it is not wrong. The Lost World was worse than Jurassic Park 3. The Lost World bastardized its source material. And if we want to get right down to it, Jurassic Park 1 did the same thing with its source material. He's right. I feel The Lost World bastardized its material more, but Jurassic Park 3 is more boring. At least it didn't have a story to screw up. True. <laughs> and I liked Alan Grant And I liked Alan Grant better than Ian Malcolm, but that's, that's just true. the perfect reference. Oh, and while we're mentioning 3s, what about Spider-Man 3? Oh, dear uh, Lord. You well, mean Tobey Maguire cries for two hours? <laughs> and then the, the the freaking the dance scene the the, the dance scene no him jiving down the street okay. popping his collar nobody buys that which black <laughs> costume is more egregious Peter Parker as black emo Spider Man or Batman black nipples with George Clooney don't bring black nipples Spider-Man. into this Spider Man oh my God Spider Man was worse <laughs> Spider Man Spider Man oh my God Spider Man. <laughs> What's another oh, garbage? There's there's so much garbage, and honestly, at this point, fans, if you have other pieces of garbage, please let us know at BNQ Podcast or BNQ Feedback at Gmail But it's time for us to pick the gravest cinematic injustice in the history of feature films. After two hours of discussion, gents, what is the gravest injustice? And I will start with Ed. Usually I try to keep an open mind about all these when we're coming to this part of the segment, but I'm sticking with The Last Airbender. That was that was really, really bad. It, really bad. Yeah. The only way it would have been worse was if they introduced an, a heartbender and called him Captain Planet. You know what? I would have liked that movie better, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's Mati. What is, what is he doing here? Heart! You're the most useless planeteer. Good job. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I'll go next because I think Matt and JP are ripping on Mati. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Whose home? That's never the Amazon. That's that's never happened in 25 years, Josh. How dare I? (laughs) So, as much as I want to pick Star Trek Nemesis because of my personal feelings toward it, and I believe me, I've got those personal feelings. I think I the Last Airbender is a great pick. The Star Wars prequels are terrific picks. But I think I'm going to go with Rise of the Silver Surfer. Yes! Just because of how good the comics are and how bad the movie is. In my opinion, it's the biggest disconnect of quality for the exact same story. The biggest difference in quality. Plus, it completely derailed the Fantastic Four franchise. Even when they brought it back, they couldn't do it right. It just... It ruined what should have been Marvel's golden goose. I guess the good thing is it made us get the Avengers out of it, but still, what a horrible, horrible injustice to one of the most venerated comic book franchises ever created, Rise of the Silver Surfer. 
That's my pick. Um, Matt, what's your pick for biggest injustice? That Galactus Cloud. Seriously, <laughs> I, I have to go with Rise of the Silver Surfer because one, my first comic book was an issue of Silver Surfer, and out of all the films we discussed, both main ones and honorable mentions, it is the only one to cause an actual negative impact on the literal monetary value of the intellectual property. It's the only one that caused actual financial damage. It's inarguably a bad thing for its franchise. And also, Galactus Cloud. That is all. And JP, you said you've got a pick that we haven't mentioned at all yet, so please, sir, what have we missed? Well, actually, after I said that, you guys spouted off like 15 more. And you, you did hit mine in there. Uh, my, my pick, the one that I think did the most damage to its franchise, uh, was indeed Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I, I, I am, I'm deeply offended that anyone would say 2 is worse than 3. I, I like 2 the best of them all. Ugh. Well, let's let's not forget the fact that in you know the Lost World novel they never left the damned island. I mean, come on. If we're talking about staying true to source material, well, if we're talking staying true to source material, yes, that would be a fair argument. That's an interesting choice, sir. Jurassic Park three. Uh, yeah, it's a. Yeah, they they gave that movie every chance it could. Much like the dinosaurs before the asteroid. Yeah. This is... <laughs> yep. Oh, that that was cold. That that was too soon, even though it's several million years. Anyway, uh, um, one might say it was ice agey. I should also mention that uh, B and Q uh, panelist Colleen wasn't in the episode tonight, but she did in fact pick her worst film, uh, worst injustice against uh, franchises, and it was the Star Wars prequels, of course. But she also said the worst film she could think of was Plan Nine from Outer Space which, if you haven't seen it, is probably true. My God, what a bad film. Uh, look up, so, look it up, people. No, look up Troll 2, if you want Troll to talk two. about bad films. Also, Pumpkinhead. But my I like Pumpkinhead! <laughs> I thought that was... It was cheesy in all the right ways. Ah, <laughs> uh, that sounds like a good sandwich right now. But anyway... Yeah. Um, <laughs> guys, th- this is a episode where the fans have to chime in, right? I mean, we need yes, to hear what your do. cinematic injustices are. You've listened to us for the length of a feature film. This, this, these two parts together have gone on longer than uh, the last Airbender, probably, and hopefully, of a higher quality than <laughs> the last Airbender. That's not if, if I am if I am actually conscious during this freaking podcast, it's better than the last Airbender. It's not exactly the highest bar to set there. Jeff. No. <laughs> The uneven bars of the B&Q. So let us know your pick for worst cinematic injustice. Uh, B&Q feedback at gmail.com or being at B&Q podcast. If we get a lot of different picks, we may run several Twitter polls where we have a March Madness sort of thing and decide the worst of the worst of all of these injustices against cinema and pick uh, your guys' collective wisdom because we know collective wisdom is sometimes stronger than the whole, I say sometimes... Well, for obvious reasons. But... Oh, Fahrenheit? Yes, indeed. Uh, but in this case, we it's all based on opinion, so it's it's all good. Except for the films we've talked about, which are all bad. Matt, we need to have some violence to 
have a catharsis after all of this negative film talk. Please, for the love of all that is holy in cinema and all else entertainment, kill that Gungan. Well, Josh, tonight, Jar Jar Binks died truly over-the-top, overacted, and explosive death. You see, he listened to our podcast, and he heard about our sponsor and decided that he'd drop in and pay a visit. And Jar Jar Binks wandered onto the set of a Michael Bay movie and was caught in the climactic giant explosion at the end of literally every Michael Bay movie and was obliterated. (laughs) It's funny until you imagine what Michael Bay would do with Jar Jar in a film. No, he would kill him too. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe Shia LaBeouf as Jar Jar Binks? Do it! Misa, do it! Oh, God. On that note of complete and utter horror... Yeah, the nightmares are going to flow tonight, listeners. We do apologize. Uh, But we'll see you next time. So thank you very much to Ed. Thank you, sir. Thank you to JP. Always a pleasure, my friend. And thank you, Matt. Good night and good luck. And this is Josh reminding you that if you got through this episode and our last week's episode and you subject yourself to any of these films, B&Q is not legally liable for that feeling where you want to scratch your eyes out with a rusty pin. Or your psychiatric pills. Exactly. Good day.